Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. Our essay this week is called Pentecostal Praise. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, June the 4th, 2017, Pentecost Sunday. This is a guest essay by the Reverend Ricardo Avila. Ricardo received his MDiv from Church Divinity School of the Pacific and is currently interim rector at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Long Beach, California. The parish includes a sizable LGBTQ and Latino population and provides services for the homeless, as well as space for many local nonprofits. A guest essay by Ricardo Avila. As my forehead came to rest on the stone floor of Grace Cathedral, Having flinched away once from its cold surface, I finally relaxed. Tired, my body sank into the floor while a fleeting thought, it's now out of my hands, passed by. Up and down the center aisle, the six other transitional deacons also lay prostrate. Everyone chanted, Venti Sancti Spiritus, around and above us their surrounding entreaty blending with the sound of my own breath hitting the stone. Suddenly, tears fell out of my eyes, not erupting from any burst of emotion, just falling. My chest remembered to sob only after my eyes were already drying. As I lay there, in those final moments before I was ordained a priest in the Episcopal Church, I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. Then why do I still wonder whether such a thing exists? Had I been at the Pentecost event, would I have joined the scoffers, snickering they are filled with new wine? I'd like to think not. Violent wind, dancing tongues of fire on crown chakras all around me, and hicks from Galilee speaking international languages. Surely that would have impressed even this skeptic. Yes. But I wasn't there. Instead, I, and we, must live in the aftermath of that first Pentecost. We are bereft of that pure experience, yet burdened with every interpretation of the Holy Spirit since then. So, maybe it's not the Spirit, I doubt, but rather our feeble attempts to mediate our experiences of the Holy Spirit that are unconvincing. When my clergy friends strike out in job searches, people post comments on Facebook like, something about that position wasn't right for you. Trust that the Holy Spirit is at work and will help you find the best fit, one that uses your unique gifts. Well, maybe... But what I want to write in response is, or perhaps the Holy Spirit did her part, and the search committee or the rector screwed up and picked the wrong person. Isn't that just as plausible? Or what about, maybe the Spirit has more important things to do than finding us the perfect job. So why does this make me so cranky? I think it's because my faith in the Spirit is already so fragile. And to make the Holy Spirit a repository of our hope of rescue, succor, success, or creativity is to set ourselves up for disappointment and disbelief. 
unless we keep adjusting our argument so that the spirit always wins. And yet. It took me three and a half years before I found the clergy position that I now have as interim rector at St. Luke's in Long Beach. And looking back, I realized that no other job for which I applied was as perfect a fit as this one has been. And not only that, I would never have applied for this position, but for a series of coincidences dating back to 2010. Could the Spirit of the living God have been guiding me past all those other opportunities, rejection upon rejection, so that I could land here? Who can prove otherwise? So, why be cranky and doubtful when I can be grateful and trusting? Come, Holy Spirit, and when you do, guide us between the Scylla of blind faith and the Sharbatus of jaded mistrust. Back in 2009, I took part in a four-day seminarian mission trip to an Anglican church in Piedras Negras, Mexico. Our visit culminated with attendance at their Sunday Eucharist. We had been warned that their worship style was on the Pentecostal side, but we figured it was Anglican, so how crazy could it get? Well, this crazy. 25 minutes into his sermon, the praise band was having crescendoed the crowd into a frenzy of clapping and yelling. Padre Miguel suddenly came down the center aisle of the small church and started smacking people's foreheads, so that one by one they crumbled to the floor, slain in the spirit. Only seven or eight people volunteered, but I was starting to get nervous. Then a few of us wide-eyed seminaries saw something. As one woman was slain, she paused in her fall just long enough to adjust her bra strap. That was all we needed. Our eyes narrowed back to their skeptical, know-it-all, master's degree program slits. I left unconvinced, though grateful for the trip. And yet. By the end of our first night there, Padre Miguel had not only discerned I was gay, though I had no intention of being out while there, but he somehow got me to tell him by myself. Then he took me aside, looked at me with his piercing green eyes, pointed at my chest and said, Listen, God has a special task for you. You need to become a priest, and you need to be open about your sexuality, and you need to minister to the Latino community because there are gay and lesbian people out there waiting for you to show up in their lives, who will be in your church pews one day, and you have to stand at that altar and be for them an example of God's unconditional love, because they need to learn to love themselves through you. I was sobbing before Padre Miguel had even finished speaking, and... I now minister among just such a community. Not that I've changed any lives yet, unless you count the few people who left our Spanish service just because I am gay. Was Padre Miguel a conduit for the Spirit of God, or is this just all a coincidence? Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful people, and kindle in them the fire of your love. 
And when you do come, help us to get out of our own way so that you can work through us unimpeded. Recently, an Episcopal deacon friend of mine confessed that he had gone to a Pentecostal church in his younger years. He had spoken in tongues on occasion, though it didn't feel genuine at first. At its best, however, he described the experience as transcendent. He said, I sensed the presence of the Creator, and my response to that nearness was to spout praise, he explained. I don't know what I was saying. It was gibberish, but I knew what it meant, and it was all praise and joy. I asked my friend, were the words yanked out of you, or did you initiate them yourself? He thought a moment and then replied, neither. They burst forth from me without my impetus, as if something else inside me was responding to God's presence. This experience of my friend echoed my own experience of spontaneous tears at ordination while lying on that cold stone floor. It could be that the Holy Spirit already resides in us, that when we summon it, its arrival comes not to us, but through us. I don't know. Maybe it's best to leave it a mystery, unexplained, not interpreted. Our attempts to speak of the Holy Spirit probably do sound like gibberish to the living God. But maybe God listens anyway and hears it as his praise. A Pentecost guest essay by Ricardo Avila Interim Rector at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Long Beach. <clears throat> For books this week, I review a title from 2017. The author is Rebecca Hirsch. The title, Climate Migrants, On the Move in a Warming World. Minneapolis, 21st Century Books, 2017. This powerful little book is 88 pages long. In Alaska, entire islands are vanishing because of the melting permafrost and perennial sea ice. Some of the 33 tiny islands of the nation of Kiribati are already completely submerged under rising sea levels. On other islands, the farmland and drinking water have been poisoned by seawater. And in the next 25 years, 40 to 50 island nations will totally disappear. The Sahel Desert of North Central Africa is home to a hundred million people, but droughts, famine, and violence have already displaced two point million people. And here in the United States, Professor Hal Wanless of the University of Miami says that he can't envision southeastern Florida having many people at the end of the century. Hurricane Sandy in 2012 displaced 776,000 residents and damaged or destroyed 650,000 homes. Some of those displaced people moved, others returned, and many are still homeless. Hurricane Katrina in 2005 was the costliest natural disaster in American history. 
What all these different stories and places have in common is one of the many consequences of climate change, the forced relocation of millions of people. These involuntary migrations raise all sorts of questions about national security, cost-sharing, resettlement programs, and so on. In New Zealand in 2014, a family from the island nation of Tuvalu was granted asylum as climate refugees. And the hardest hit peoples are often the poorest, who in many instances have contributed the least to climate change. By the year 2050, writes Rebecca Hirsch, some 25 million people will become involuntary migrants due to climate changes. Their homes and their lands will be uninhabitable. Hirsch humanizes all these facts and figures by telling the personal stories of families all over the world. She supplements these stories with photographs, maps, and graphs. A final chapter considers the future of climate migration and possible responses. For more on this urgent subject, see the movie Climate Refugees, 2009. The book by Jared Diamond, Collapse, How Societies Choose to Fail or Succeed, both of which are on our Journey with Jesus website. And finally, the article in the New Yorker called Miami is Flooding from December 21st, 2015. Once again, the title of the book, Climate Migrants on the Move, in a Warming World, and the author, Rebecca Hirsch. For movies this week, we go to the country of India in Lion, 2016. Like a lot of people, my wife was a puddle of tears at the end of this heartwarming movie. Based upon the real-life story of Saru Brierley, as told in his book, A Long Way Home, 2013, the story follows the five-year-old Saru, who gets lost on a train and ends up a thousand miles from home. He somehow survives the Dickensian underworld of Calcutta and is adopted by an Australian couple. But 20 years later, like so many adopted children, he's driven to find his biological mother and return home. Thanks to Google Earth, that's what Saru does. Lion premiered at the Toronto Film Festival and went on to earn six Academy Award nominations. Remarkably, it was the debut feature film for director Garth Davis. The movie concludes with the historical particulars about Saru's actual real-life return to his Indian village in 2002, complete with photos of his real-life adopted family meeting his biological mother, who never gave up hope. The wildly popular film, Lion. And for Pentecost Sunday, we posted a poem, Veni Creator Spiritus, by John Dryden. John Dryden lived from 1631 to 1700.
Creator Spirit, by whose aid the world's foundation first were laid, come, visit every pious mind. Come, pour thy joys on humankind. From sin and sorrow set us free, and make thy temples worthy thee. O source of uncreated light, the Father's promised paraclete, thrice holy fount, thrice holy fire, our hearts with heavenly love inspire. Come in thy sacred unction bring to sanctify us while we sing. Plenteous of grace, descend from high, rich in thy sevenfold energy. Thou strength of his almighty hand, whose power does heaven and earth command. Proceeding spirit, our defense, who dost the gift of tongues dispense, and crownest thy gift with eloquence. Refine and purge our earthly parts, but O oh, and flame and fire our hearts. Our frailties help, our vice control. Submit the senses to the soul. And when rebellious they are grown, then lay thy hand and hold them down. Chase from our minds the infernal foe, and peace the fruit of love bestow. And lest our feet should step astray, protect and guide us in the way. Make us eternal truths receive, and practice all that we believe. Give us thyself that we may see the Father and the Son by thee. Immortal honor, endless fame, attend the Almighty Father's name. The Savior Son be glorified, who for lost man's redemption died. And equal adoration be, eternal paraclete, to thee. A Pentecost poem by John Dryden, the English poet, <clears throat> literary critic, translator, and playwright. John Dryden is buried in Westminster Abbey. <clears throat> Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, June the 4th, 2017, Pentecost Sunday. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.